I pray that that is indeed our prayer. Lord, have your way in me. Even if that way is difficult, even if that way is not the way that I want, even if that way is, is contrary to my desires, contrary to my wants, Lord, have your way in me. Or create in me a clean heart, renew a right spirit within me. If you have your Bibles this morning, open up to the book of Matthew chapter 5. As we look at the inside versus the outside. The letter of the law versus the spirit of the law. The inside versus the outside. Matthew chapter 5, we're going to read a fairly lengthy passage this morning. Uh, we've spent the last four weeks or so on about 10, 12 verses. We're going to spend one week on about, about 20 verses. So uh, Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 48. Jesus says, and if you have a, a, a red letter edition Bible, most of this uh, is going to be in red letters. Uh, that means Jesus said it. Uh, so this is Jesus speaking at the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. You have heard it said, the ancients were told you shall not commit murder. Whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court, and whoever shall say to his brother, Racha, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court, and whoever shall say, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. If therefore you are presenting your offering at the altar, and there remember your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come present your offering. Make friends quickly with your opponent at the law, while... While you're with him on the way, in order that your opponent may not deliver you to the judge, and the judge to the officer, and you'll be thrown into prison. Truly I say to you, that you shall not come out of there until you have paid up to the last cent. For you have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, everyone who looks on a, on a woman to lust after her has committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out, and throw it from you, for it is better for that one of the parts of your body perish than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. For it is better for you that one of the parts of your body perish than for your whole body to go into hell. And it was said, whoever sends his wife away, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you, everyone who divorces his wife except for the cause of unchastity makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you've heard of the ancients were told, you shall not make false vows, but you shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. But I say to you, make no oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is the footstool of his feet, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you make an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your statement be yes, yes, or no, no, and anything beyond this is of evil. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist him who is evil, but slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him also the other. And if anyone wants to sue you, take from him your, take your shirt, let him have also your coat. Whoever shall force you to go with him one mile, go with him two. Give to him who asks of you, and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. 
You have heard that it was said, you shall love your enemy, I'm sorry, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, in order that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. And he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward, what reward have you? Not even, for do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brothers only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Let's pray. Father, what a wonderful what a wonderful standard you have set in your word. Perfection. God, we thank you that last week we saw that Jesus perfectly fulfilled the righteous requirements of the law. That in him we have the imputed righteousness by faith. Lord, as we see Jesus' statements here in Matthew chapter 5, and we see the contrast from the inside versus the outside, the spirit of the law versus the letter of the law. Lord, may we hear from Your Holy Spirit this morning. In Jesus' wonderful name we pray, amen. I want to begin this morning talking about verse 21, because verse 21 kind of sets the stage. And we remember that the book of Matthew was written by Matthew to the Jews to portray Jesus as the son of David. And so we understand that Jesus is talking predominantly to a Jewish audience. And, and while the multitudes that were there were indeed his audience, that Jesus is speaking very specifically to his disciples. I heard somebody say it. See, somebody's paying attention. So Jesus is speaking very specifically to his disciples who were trained and who knew the law of God. We also understand that the multitudes that were there, being predominantly Jewish, that they would have been familiar, that they would have known the law of God as well. And so Jesus begins and he starts off by saying, verse 21, He starts off by saying, you have heard that the ancients were told. What is he talking about? He's talking about the prophets. He's talking about the law, the Torah. He's talking about uh, the the rabbis that have gone before him and and have have taken the law of God and have, have continued to teach the law of God over and over again. Remember, last week we, we, we talked about the the, the Pharisees and the, the scribes, and we said that, that Jesus made this statement that unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees and scribes, you will not enter into the kingdom. And, and that was such, a, such a, a demonstrative statement that Jesus could make that, that, that the people's mind would have just been like, how in the world can my righteousness exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees? Well, well what... What was that righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees? And they had taken the law of God, they had taken the moral law, the Ten Commandments, thou shalt uh, have no other gods before me, thou shalt not uh, make for yourself graven images, thou shalt not take the Lord's name in vain, thou shalt remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy, honor your father and mother, don't kill, don't 
Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Uh, don't do the, the, the moral law, the Ten Commandments. And they had taken and they had extrapolated it. And they had, they had said, well, what does it mean to say, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy? They said, well, you know, if, if, if we want to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy, let us, let us set up for ourselves all of these additional parameters on the law so that we can make sure that we remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. One of those things is, is we're not going to work on the Sabbath day. Well, what constitutes work? In fact, there was an aspect of the, of the Talmud, of the Mishnah, uh, that, that, that stated that if you were to spit upon the ground, that that could be constituted, that could be defined as work. How in the world? Well, because you spit upon the ground, you're going to move the dirt. And as you move the dirt, that could be constituted, that that could be defined as as cultivating the soil. And And so we can't spit on the Sabbath day, because if we did spit on the Sabbath day, then then we could... We could be in jeopardy of, of working on the Sabbath. And, and we can't, we can't, we're going to, to be so far above reproach that we can't even, even begin to be accused of transgressing the law. And so when Jesus made the statement, your righteousness must exceed that of the Pharisees and the scribes, it, it, it blew their mind because the Pharisees and the scribes had set up for themselves such a high standard of the law, that for your righteousness to exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees, was, it was impossible. But I want us to notice what Jesus says. He begins in verse 21 and says, You have heard that it was said. What is he speaking of? He's not speaking specifically of the Ten Commandments. He's speaking of the prophets, the rabbis, all of the rabbinic teaching that had added to the law. That had, that had made these, these, these definitive statements. And I want you to hear what Jesus said. Look at verse 21. You have heard that it was said, you have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not commit murder. Speaking specifically of the prophets, speaking specifically of Moses' statement. Whoever commits murder will be liable to the court, a reference of the rabbinic teaching. Look at verse 22. But I say to you, Jesus made this statement. The prophet said this, but I say this. We'll see this again all throughout this passage. The prophet said this. The rabbi said this. The teachers of the law said this. But I say to you. Moses said this, but I say this. The rabbi said this. But I say this, Jesus makes the statement, my authority is greater than that of all of the prophets of old. That statement right there to a Jewish audience would have blown their mind. No one has greater authority than Moses. For the Jewish believer... For, for the, the, the Israelite, for somebody who is trained in the law, for somebody who is a Pharisee, a scribe, somebody who is a religious leader, the ultimate authority 
is Moses. Why? Because he gave Mo, uh, because God gave Moses the law. And at this point in Israel's history, the law is all they have left. There is no more land. They are living as exiles in the land. There is no more temple. It's been destroyed. Yes, it's been rebuilt, but not as it once was. The only thing that they have left that is unadulterated, that is pure and undefiled as God gave it to the Israelites is the law. And so Jesus is taking their law, their understanding, and he said, yes, the law says this, but I am greater than the law. I have a greater authority, and I say to you, it is not about the outside, it's about the inside. This idea that Jesus speaks with authority greater than that of the prophets would have been something so mind-blowing to the Israelites that, that it, would have, it would have demanded, it would have demanded something to be done with what Jesus said. Now, I want us to look at all of the external applications of the law. Look at verse 21. You have heard it said, you shall not commit murder. Committing murder is an act of the hand. It is an act of, of, of the body. You, you, you take your hands and you take someone's life, whether you use a weapon or whether you use your own bare hands or whether you, whatever it is, it is, it is an act, it is an action, not an internal attitude. Verse 27, look at verse 27. You have heard that it said, you shall not commit adultery. Committing adultery is the act of being unfaithful, the act of having an extramarital relationship, the act of, of, of consummating some sort of relationship outside of marriage. It is an action. It is a physical, external application. Verse 31, Jesus said, it was said, whoever sends his wife away, let him give her a certificate of divorce. This, this, this idea of divorcing a woman or divorcing your wife is an action. It is something external. It's interesting to note, you notice that it speaks of the action of the man divorcing his wife, not the wife divorcing her husband. In the Jewish world, uh, a wife could not divorce her husband. It's against the law. The only, the only time uh, the marriage could be, could be ended was at the will or at the volition of the man because the women had no rights in this world. Jesus makes the statement in verse 33. He says, again, you've heard it said, the ancients were told, you shall not make false vows. Again, an action of the will, something that, that, that we do. Verse 38, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. An action, an external action. And Jesus contrasts each one of these. Each one of these external actions, and he contrasts it with what? An internal heart attitude. Look at verse 22. But I say to you, you've heard it said, don't commit murder, but I say to you, who is every, whoever is angry with his brother. Anger begins where? In the heart. It's not an action. It's not, it, 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 it's not something that our hands do, but it's something that begins in our heart. The law deals with the manifestation of the heart attitude. The law deals with the external. 
Jesus deals with the internal. Jesus' statements always deal with the heart attitude. Dealing with the external, dealing with the law, always produces legalism. It always produces self-righteousness. Remember the rich young ruler that came to Jesus. The rich young ruler comes to Jesus and said, What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, Keep the law. And what was his response? Ah, I've done that. Taken care of. I've done that ever since my youth. And each and every one of us know that there's no way he did that. But he said, I've done that since my youth. Keeping the external aspects of the law always leads to pride, self-righteousness, arrogance, legalism. Always. Turn to Matthew chapter 23. At the end of Jesus' ministry, he addresses these scribes and Pharisees and listen to how he addresses them. Matthew chapter 23, verse 25. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup, of the dish, but inside... They're full of robbery, self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and of the dish so that the outside of it may also become clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside they're full of dead men's bones and uncleanliness. Even so, too outwardly, you appear righteous to men, but inwardly, You're full of hypocrisy, lawlessness. Paul understood this. He experienced this. Philippians chapter 3. As Paul is sharing with the Philippian church, he's sharing his own testimony, his own experiences. Philippians chapter 3, verses 4, 5, and 6. Paul says this. He says, although I myself might have confidence in the flesh. I, if, if Paul says that there's anybody who has the ability to have confidence in the external trappings of the law, it's me. And listen what he says. For if anyone has the mind to put confidence in the flesh, I more than anybody. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel in the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, to the law of Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness, which is the law, blameless. Paul said, I am blameless in the law. Not not that I am perfect in the law, but I am blameless in the law. I have kept it to the T. I am a Pharisee of Pharisees. But he understood that that means nothing. Because Jesus said, if we clean the outside, but the inside is wicked, we're nothing but whitewashed tombs. And I have a fear that in many of our churches sit whitewashed tombs. We don't drink, we don't smoke, we don't curse, we don't chew, we don't go with the girls that do. We do everything we can to make sure that we are doing what we're supposed to do. 
And inadvertently, we live Christianity as a bunch of rules and a bunch of regulations and a bunch of do this, don't do that. You can't say that. You can't wear this. You can't, you can't drink that. You can't smoke that. You can't do this. And, and we have, have done everything in our power to make Christianity a bunch of rules and regulations, which Jesus said it has nothing to do with rules and regulations. It has nothing to do with keeping the law. I tell you right now, church, if there aren't cigarette butts in our driveways and our parking lots, if there's not some beer cans in our parking lot, we're not being effective at what God has called us to do. If you can't say amen, maybe you need to say ouch. If we're not reaching the lost culture in our world, if the lost people in our community aren't comfortable in our churches maybe it's because we're a bunch of whitewashed tombs and when they walk in they they they, they feel judgment they feel legalism they feel they feel that 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 they're supposed to accomplish some some level of righteousness before they can come to the love of christ where did jesus go he went to the tax collector he went to the woman caught in adultery he ate with sinners and what are we church but a hospital for sinners I heard somebody say, I don't want to go to church full of a bunch of hypocrites. My response is always, you're absolutely right. There's always room for one more. We're a bunch of hypocrites. We're a bunch of liars. We're a bunch of thieves. The difference is, we know it. And we cry out to Jesus for grace and mercy. We cry out to Jesus for His compassion. Jesus did not address the outward manifestation of righteousness. He started with the heart. He said it's not about murder. It's where murder begins, with anger. It's not about adultery. Because long before you make the decision to, to leave your spouse and seek that extramarital relationship, the problem is lust that takes place in your heart. And it may not be a lust for a physical relationship. It may be a lust for an emotional relationship. It may be that, that desire. And what is lust? Lust is any desire that is fulfilled outside of God's parameters. Any desire, whether it be sexual, whether it be emotional, whether it be mental, whether it be physical, that is fulfilled outside of God's design in His Word. God gives us sexual desires, but He gives us a covenant in which those desires can be fulfilled, the covenant of marriage. God gives us those emotional, relational needs, and He gives us parameters in His Word how those needs and those desires can be fulfilled through a biblical relationship. True righteousness never works from the outside. It always works from the inside. Jesus begins, how does He begin the Sermon on the Mount? He begins with who we are, not what we do. Because who we are demonstrates what we do. Why does a dog bark? Because it's a dog. 
Why does the duck quack? Because it's a duck. Why do my children fight? Because they're my kids. Because they're sinners. Because they're liars. Because they're selfish. Why do us as church members clamor after what we want, not what the not what's best for the church? Because we're sinners. Because we're selfish. Because we want what we want, not what's best for the church. We must change what we are before we change what we do. The problem with the external is when we look at the external, we always compare ourselves to whom? To other people, right? Have you ever looked around and made this statement? Well, I'm not as bad as so-and-so. Well, I, 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 don't, I don't cuss as much as so-and-so. Well, I don't, I don't gossip near as much as so-and-so. Oh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm not near as legalistic as so-and-so. I'm not near as, as judgmental as so-and-so. Absolutely. Because the, the external trappings of the law, if we focus on the external aspects of the law, it always leads to a comparison. Well, I don't, I'm, I'm not as bad as so-and-so. I'm not as bad as this person or that person. And it, it allows us to justify our own unrighteousness. It allows us to justify our own failures. And Jesus said, look, don't even look at the external. Look at your heart. Because it's not about murder. It's not about adultery. It's not about divorce. It's not about the external applications of the law. It's not about the letter of the law. It's not about how far you've, you've, you've walked on a Sabbath day. It's not about whether or not you, you, you've worked on the Sabbath day. In fact, we'll see later on in the book of Matthew, Jesus continually addresses these dietary restrictions, continually addresses the, the work on the Sabbath, continually addresses these rabbinic teachings, these, these teachings that deal with the letter of the law, and Jesus is always comes back to, it's not about the letter of the law, it's about the spirit of the law. It's not about the external trappings, it's about the heart. It's about the internal. We have to change who we are before we change what we do. That's why, for the Christian, the battle is not stop smoking, stop drinking, stop cursing. The battle is love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. What happens when a person begins to, to, to fall in love with Jesus, and Jesus begins to be all they desire, and God's Word begins to be all they desire? All of a sudden, the things of this world, the Holy Spirit begins to convict them. They read in God's Word, your temple, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, and all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit begins to convict them, then you know what? I probably ought not to be sucking on, 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 on cigarettes full of nicotine. And, and, and we don't have to stand up here and preach and teach don't smoke don't do this don't do that because it has nothing to do with whether you smoke a cigarette or whether you drink alcohol it has nothing to do with that is not efficacious in your salvation what we do is we begin to preach and teach jesus people fall in love with jesus and they begin to study god's word and the holy spirit begins to convict them and then when they come and they say you know i've I've been reading in god's word and as they grow in their walk with christ and they say you know what, 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 what do you think about, about this and about that? Well, then there's that opportunity for discipleship. There's that opportunity for growth. 
We're able to say, you know, the Bible says, let no unwholesome thing come out of your mouth. The Bible says that we as Christians ought to be above reproach. So what does that mean when it comes to these other external trappings? The Bible says, don't cause your brother or sister to stumble. So, so what does that mean when it comes to this or when it comes to that? And we're able to use that as an opportunity for discipleship. But we must start with the heart. It's the internal that matters, not the external. The external will take care of itself if we deal with the internal. Discipleship, discipline begins with discipleship. Punishment changes behavior. Discipline trains the heart. When we understand that Jesus deals primarily with the heart, our model for discipline changes. How many of us know someone who had fantastic children, obedient children, trained in the, trained in the nurture and admonition of Jesus, raised in the church, and the moment they got to college, everything went out the window? Any, does anybody know somebody, maybe you were that person, Maybe, maybe, maybe you were, maybe, maybe, you know, the, the, the parents always say, you know, well, my kid's just running with the wrong crowd. Maybe you were the wrong crowd. <laughs> you know, when we focus on training behavior rather than disciplining, we deal with the external rather than dealing with the internal. Let me show something to you. Psalm 51. Flip over to the book of Psalm 51. As the prophet Nathan addresses David, he says, David, you're a liar, you're a thief, you're an adulterer, you're a murderer, and you need to repent. This was David's response. Psalm 51. <clears throat> Verse 4. Verse 3. David said this, after his sin with Bathsheba, after he coveted his neighbor's wife, stole his neighbor's wife, committed adultery, murdered his neighbor, transgressed all ten of the commandments in one fell swoop. This was David's response. Verse 3, I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Against thee and thee alone have I sinned and done what is evil in thy sight. So thou art justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. Now, David murdered Uriah. He cheated on his wife with Bathsheba. He coveted Bathsheba. He stole Bathsheba from Uriah. On the outside, looking in, David's chief sin was against Uriah. Uriah is the one that's dead. Uriah is the one who had his wife stolen. Uriah's Bathsheba is the one who, who, was, who was taken from her life of fidelity and her life of righteousness and marriage and a covenant of marriage. But notice David's response. He understood that his sin was primarily not against Uriah, not against Bathsheba, not against his wife, but his primary sin was against God. Our children, when we are disciplining them, must understand this. When they disobey mom and dad, 
their disobedience is primarily against God. When they disobey their teachers, their disobedience is primarily against God. Husbands, when we fail to honor the commitments in our marriages, our sin is not primarily against our wife, but it's a sin against God. Wives, whenever we fail to honor the covenants in our marriage, it is not a primarily offense against our husband, but it's an offense against God. Our sin is primarily an offense against God. And when we understand this, when we understand that sin and disobedience is primarily an offense against God, then we go back to where Jesus started with the Beatitudes, Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are those who mourn. When we understand our sin and our offense is primarily against God, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who understand their depravity, for they shall be comforted. And whenever we understand who we are, there is only one response that we have. Oh God, be gracious to me. Because I am unworthy of grace. When we deal with the external, we somehow think that we can be good enough. But Jesus deals with the internal. The purpose of the law, church, was to leave us guilty. Go to Galatians chapter 3. The purpose of the law was not to be about external righteousness. The Pharisees missed this. They thought, if I can just be good enough, if I can just, if, 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 if keeping the law brings me righteousness, then you know what? Not only am I going to keep the law, I'm going to keep all this other stuff too so that I can be sure that I'm righteous. Go to Galatians chapter 3. Paul, a Pharisee of Pharisees, a teacher of the law. Listen to what he said. He got it. He understood by the Holy Spirit revelation the role and the purpose of the law. Look at Galatians chapter 3 verse 24. Therefore the law Therefore the law has become our tutor. The word literally there in the Greek is our our schoolmaster, our teacher. The law has become our teacher to lead us to Christ that we may be justified by faith. The law does not bring about righteousness. The law reveals to us that we are in need of righteousness. There's no way we can keep the letter of the law. Jesus said, it's not the letter of the law I'm concerned with, it's the spirit of the law. It's your heart. It's not about murder. It's not about adultery. It's not about divorce. It's not about going one mile or giving somebody your cloak or being sued. Or It's not about, it's not about an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. It, it, it's not about the letter of the law. It's about the heart that I'm concerned about. When we understand our heart, when we understand the law brings us to that place. John Bunyan, who wrote A Pilgrim's Progress, he illustrated it like this. Christian, on his journey from the city of destruction to the celestial city, is climbing up a mountain with this burden of sin upon his back. And as he's climbing up the mountain with this burden of sin on his back, 
he's, he's accosted and assaulted and he's beaten and he's bludgeoned and he's left for dead. And John Bunyan said, that man, that person who beat me and bludgeoned me and bloodied me and left me for dead was Moses. The law. I was left for dead. But then grace came, picked me up, bandaged my wounds, took from my back the burden of sin, and gave me new life. The law is intended to leave us guilty. Every one of us are liars, thieves, adulterers, every one of us. Because none of us can keep the letter of the law. Grace has come that we might find ourselves in need of a Savior. And as a church, we must understand our role. Our role is not to be a country club for Christians. Our role is not to keep an aquarium. But we're to fish for men. We're to cast the net. And God has given us a very specific mission field. He's given us 170, 180 students and their families here at this school to reach out with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we must put aside that which we want, those desires that, 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 that we want for the sake of the gospel so that we can be effective at the mission that God has called us to be. We must reach the lost with the gospel. It's not about the, the outside. It's not about keeping the letter of the law. But it's about the inside. This morning, there are some of you who've been striving to keep the rules. You've been striving to do what's right. You've been striving to, to, to be a good Christian. And this morning, Jesus has spoken to your heart. He said, quit trying to be good enough and come to Jesus who's already been good enough. Blessed are those who mourn. When we realize our need for a Savior, that's where God wants us to be. That we can't be good enough. Jesus has already been good enough. This morning, there are some of us who needed to be reminded that our role as a church is to reach the lost, to put aside that which is important to us so that we may be effective for the kingdom. In just a few moments, we're going to share the Lord's Supper. As we
Let's stand together. If you have a decision to make for Christ this morning, you come. Jesus, keep me near the cross.